1: So if you go back to high school, gentlemen, a couple of my buddies coined a phrase for pencil neck, See, I I happen to hang out with a bunch of guys who all got college scholarships. Everybody except, except yours truly. And they came up with a saying as I started doing uh, not college sports, but college radio. And they all said, well, if you can't play it, commentate it. And as if I needed further evidence as to why I'll never, ever make a living in athletics, much less get a college scholarship, uh, the new resident philosopher in town had this to say, and I embody neither end of this statement. You can't lead a group if you're always talking. Of course, I'm always talking. You've got to be about that action. And it's really disputable as to what sort of action I ever take at any time. And that's just my self-deprecating way of starting this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And already I'm seeing way too much buy-in and agreement. Darren.
0: Well, first of all, my first thought was, is that why you got the backwards baseball cap on, is to pretend you're in high school? I just That's right. Zero
1: that. leadership being shown. Either either visually, you know, the optics, the body language, zero leadership on either end, according to Malcolm Butler, the new resident philosopher in town in the Cardinals locker room.
0: I actually just enjoyed your uh, – what was it? You, If you can't
1: – If you can't play it,
0: play it commentate. commentate, because that goes back to – there's an, old, uh, there's an old teacher kind of cliche, which is, if you can't do, teach, which my wife is a teacher, and she's moved that on to me, which is, if you can't do, write about it, which is basically where me and Kyle fit in here. So I, I feel your pain, Paul.
1: Yeah, yeah. So once again, yeah, if you can't play it, commentate it. Uh, I, I, I somehow spoke that into existence, one word at a time. There's no doubt about that. But seriously, Kyle, I mean, I, I like that quote. If you can't lead a group, if you're always talking, you got to be about that action. Now, if you put a boss in there at the end, you got to be about that action boss. That'd be right out of the Marshawn Lynch playbook and quote <laughs> book. Maybe Malcolm Butler knows Marshawn Lynch. I have no idea.
2: That's exactly where my mind went. was a little Marshawn Lynch Jr. quote right there. I mean, we'll we'll see what kind of leadership style Malcolm Butler brings, but it's It's a lot different from Patrick Peterson, who led the cornerback group for a long time, and he talked a lot, and Malcolm Butler seems like a more uh, quiet type. I personally don't think one is better than the other. I think leading by example is great because guys will follow you. I think if you're an emotional leader or talkative, I think that works, too, because guys will listen to you. At the end of the day, are you a good cornerback on the field? If you are, people are going to pay attention and follow your lead.
0: Yeah, the bottom line is I, I keep thinking and, and I'm sure there are going to be some anti-Patrick Peterson people that take that Butler quote as a shot at Patrick, but I don't think it really was because ultimately, uh, while Patrick did talk, he had the play to back it up. And, and, and really what it comes down to is you have to have the play to back up whatever kind of leadership you do. I mean, whether you lead by example, which is basically where Malcolm Butler was going with it, or you want to talk. If you can't play, you're not going to have the respect anyway. So the rest of it is kind of a moot point.
1: You know, much of Pat P's career, he was compared to Richard Sherman. And,
0: you know, I guess
1: we can say what we want about Pat being a talker. But when I think of a cornerback who talks, I think Richard Sherman. I don't think Patrick Peterson. Now, Pat loves to, you know. Have a quote here or there. Makes somewhat of a proclamation. But, uh, I mean, if you want a guy who really has run his mouth over the last decade and plays the corner position, uh, Richard Sherman wins that matchup hands down. So, I I don't think P necessarily has been out of line over the years. He's just been
2: himself, which is an outgoing personality. Yeah, Patrick Peterson is – delightfully honest to me. I mean, you ask him a question and he'll answer it, and people get mad because he tells the truth when from everybody else you want them to tell the truth and not give you cliches. And Patrick Peterson's always been willing to tell you what he thinks. He has supreme confidence in in himself because he's literally one of the most athletic people on the planet. Like that's not an exaggeration with Patrick Peterson, so he should be confident what he brings. But you're right, Richard Sherman is across the line where he's not only confident in himself, but he's happy insulting others that he doesn't agree with. (laughs) Michael Crabtree, for instance. Um, But Patrick Peterson did not do that a lot. I mean, he got in a couple tiffs, especially when he was trying to vie for the best cornerback in the NFL. He may have taken some shots at Richard Sherman and Josh Norman here or there. But for the most part, Patrick Peterson, the headlines he grabbed for that was just saying he believes in himself, which every player should do
1: you know, if there was a 30 for 30 out there uh, on Richard Sherman, Aaron Andrews would be one of those featured interviews, right? I mean, come on now, that, that whole episode uh, on the sideline. So look, Malcolm Butler sounds like he's going to be a man of few words. Let's hope he's a man of fewer chunk throw catches allowed, right? But he did have another telling quote when it comes to leadership. And honestly, as much as I enjoyed the other one and the philosophy thereof, when he talked about having dinner with Vance Joseph and the DB's coach, Greg Williams, and then he said, we talked about how if we want to win, this team has got to be led by the players and not always the coaches, end quote. Darren, translate that for us because that's been a bit of a theme with each and every player acquisition in the offseason.
0: I don't think there's any question that this team, in terms of who they brought in, whether it was J.J. Watt or Rodney Hudson or A.J. Green, uh, or in Sean Williams, uh, the, the backup safety, uh, or Malcolm Butler, as we're talking about. We're talking about guys that have been captains or that have some age with them. And usually with age and experience comes that leadership quality. And uh, I think that's been an important part of where Steve Kime has kind of directed all of free agency. And, and I agree. I, I, I agree with the coaches where you – when you're in a professional setting especially – um, and, and I think it can be true for any team. I, you know, I've seen it on the high school level. My son's playing there, and, and I, you know, I know it's true on the college level. There's a certain level of uh, chemistry, I guess, is where you kind of want to go with it, where the teams can kind of operate without coaches on a certain level. Obviously, you need them to organize things and come up with game plans and stuff like that. But in terms of policing yourselves, in terms of, of working hard – if the, if the players themselves aren't pushing it, it's not going to matter if it comes from the coaches. Because quite frankly, once the, the players are on their own and the coaches are out of the room and, and things aren't going well, you're always going to have somebody saying, you know, whatever, coach, whatever. And uh, you need it to be play, uh, done inside. And, and I recall, to be honest, when, when he said that line, I remember – I remember being in the locker room after a practice uh, near the end of the 2008 season. And I remember Kurt Warner coming in and he was talking to Terrell Smith, the fullback. Uh, but you know, everybody in the locker room could hear him as they were walking in from the practice field. And Kurt was like, he was a little bit heated a little bit. And he goes, the question is, he goes, what do we want to be? Are we trying to win a championship or are we just trying to get to the playoffs? And at that point they were already in the playoffs and Kurt, the point, being like, we've got to kind of get things together, but it was coming from a player. It wasn't coming from Ken Wisenhunt or Todd Haley or whomever. And I do think that's an important aspect that this team can use more of, quite frankly, at this point.
1: You know, honestly, when I think of Kurt Warner, one of the first things I think of is how he changed the culture of the Arizona Cardinals. We can mention the MVP, Super Bowl, and league MVP. You can talk about playoff games with more touchdown passes and incompletions. I think of Kurt Warner, just because we saw it from the inside out, What he did, what he did in the locker room, I think to a degree, still resonates. There was permanent change there. Now, you can argue whether there was a lapse last year. And, you know, I think, Kyle, when people hear about this self-policing of the locker room, is what Steve Kime called it recently when he met the media, I think a lot of people would be surprised that NFL coaches rarely ever enter the player's locker room. They are truly on their own much of the day, every day. So when we talk about self-policing, that's a thing. That's not some sort of media speak. Uh, And so if, once again, from the inside out, if that culture isn't there in the locker room, then inevitably to me and what we've experienced over the years and we've seen it with different teams and different sports, that will bleed out under the field of play for better or worse.
2: I don't think so. I feel like... (laughs) culture <laughs> You're is totally wrong. Go away.
1: in. That was a little late this time Kyle, but go ahead. Run me over.
2: I think culture is something that we love to talk about because we analyze one team 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Like, we look at this team and look for different angles and we need to talk about something on a podcast every single week, but I think <laughs> talent is king in the NFL like you didn't sign J.J. Watt and Rodney Hudson and Malcolm Butler because of their leadership. It's because you turned on the tape and felt like these guys can be different make difference makers for this team because they're talented players. There's a lot of good leaders that you can get for the veteran minimum and bring them in and you can have great culture. But if they're not good players, you're not going to win in the NFL. So I think it's happenstance that they brought in guys that might be good leaders, but to me, you want to bring in the best players and, and that's the way you police a locker room is you win and you make people happy because there's plenty of examples these last seven years since I've been covering the team of, of you know leaders on every single one of those teams. And a lot of them span the entire time and the team was good at times and
0: the team was bad at times because of the talent. I will argue. I, I don't. I don't disagree with the talent part of it. But here's where I'm going to argue with you, where you say there's lots of leaders you can get for minimum salary. No, there's not, because ultimately part of leadership is what I was saying a few minutes ago, which is if you can't play, it doesn't matter if you're a leader. I mean, to me, a leader has to be a good player. So it it, it comes part and parcel if you say you're signing a true leader that he's gotta be a good player, whatever it might be. Now, if Sean Williams isn't gonna be one of your stars, but he could be one of your better special teams players, or whatever it might be, but like nobody's going to listen to J.J. Watt when he can't play anymore. It doesn't matter how good of a leader he is.
2: I'm thinking of like Frosty Rucker would be a good example of somebody who didn't make a lot of money, was a role player, but was a respected voice in the locker room. And anytime you feel like you're missing that, I think you can find the Frosty Ruckers of the world to bring into your team. But I don't think you're paying premium dollars for leadership in the NFL. I think you're paying for talent.
1: What about the inverse of that, though? What about ultra-uber-talented guys who are a disaster in the locker room? And Antonio Brown, uh, Terrell Owens. What about those guys who you know, would, would just undermine a team culture from the inside out? I think about that. Maybe you don't need the supreme leadership, but there better be a level of buy-in. And when you get to some of that pathological diva status, that can be devastating to a team.
2: Bucks just won a Super Bowl this year with Antonio Brown on the roster.
1: Yeah, the last month, <laughs> right? And he was and he was tamped down by Bruce Arians. Asked John Gruden and uh, and Mike Mayock how it went in in, in Vegas, right? And how they couldn't they, wait. They to did get it
2: riddle. in Tampa Bay. They won because they had talent.
1: I'm just saying, if you go to the Week Four loss of Carolina, do you think that happens if you have better leadership on the team? A Week 16 underwhelming effort with the playoffs on the line against the 49ers something's wrong there talent didn't win there Jeff Wilson a buck 83 uh, you know I mean that that didn't win right there I can't remember the name of the third string quarterback right now that beat the Cardinals for the 49ers gosh that's pathetic hashtag sleep deprivation um, and so CJ Bethard so to me how did the Cardinals lose that game with the playoffs on the line how did they come out with that effort against John Wolford in week 17 to me there is a cause and effect, and it did need to be addressed in the offseason with some leadership. Obviously, the underpinning of every signing is you better be able to play or it's, it's not going to work. But I think the leadership is valued and has been targeted in the offseason and virtually every signing speaks to it. That's my opinion.
2: I think because we focus on this team, those are the games we look at, but the NFL is a very high variance league. So you could look at the Rams and say they had a really good season. Why did they lose to the Jets? Was it a culture or a leadership problem? How did the Bucs go on the road and lose to the Bears? Was that a culture and a leadership problem? Like all these teams have bad losses. The Chiefs lost to the Raiders. How did that happen? I just think it's a very high variance league. You're going to lose games. It's a very week-to-week league depending on matchups and game planning, but I don't think it was a leadership issue. Well, uh, so I, I'm I going to disagree, and, so, and the
1: Cardinals Kyle, decision you, makers are on the record as disagreeing as well.
0: I, I know. I, I'm curious, Kyle, like, was so leadership meaningless? I mean, essentially, the way you're explaining it, leadership is meaningless. I don't think one team has
2: an advantage over another when it comes to leadership. I think leadership's important but it's not more important than talent. And I think every team naturally has leaders. I think every team naturally has underachievers. And if you get too many, like Paul said, like if, you, if you've got 15 divas on the team, maybe that torpedoes your season, but Terrell Owens also played on a lot of really good football teams and it, they, he didn't ruin seasons until maybe that one in Philadelphia where everything blew up. But I just think it's it's the cost of doing business. Some guys are very talented and you'll take the risk, but Yeah, I mean, leadership's great if you can have it, but give me the guy that's a better football player over a better leader.
1: So when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win the Super Bowl, and virtually every guy in the roster cites the leadership of Tom Brady, how Tom Brady helped them believe they could get it done. When the Arizona Cardinals in 2008 make a run to Super Bowl 43, and everyone's rallying around the experience of a Kurt Warner and the whole shock the world, and they buy into their quarterback, there were playoff games where Tom Brady threw three interceptions, but that defense looked so different than it had the year before. And those guys after the game, forget me and my analysis or my opinion, but when the players themselves cite that component of a player that they've rallied around, you discount that?
2: Yeah, because you're only looking at it from the perspective of the winning team. What, where was Tom Brady's leadership in New England last year? Did it all of a sudden disintegrate for one season? I mean, we're always looking at the team that wins the Super Bowl, wins the playoff game. What about the losing team who had that guy in that narrative the week before? Now they lost and that leadership's gone. I think it's just revisionist history.
1: Playmakers or the lack thereof on that New England team. Once again, the leadership can't make up for a dearth of talent, but it can be the component to lift that team. Do you think, for example, Kyle, do you, do you think the Arizona Cardinals underachieved in 2020?
2: Um, In totality, no, by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, But I could point to several different reasons beyond leadership. I think The intermediate passing game needed to be better. I think the defense looking back was too high variance. There were games when they were very good and there were games when they were struggling badly against the pass. So to me, it comes back to what you do against the pass, what you do in key situations, short yardage, red zone, stuff like that, that's a little bit fluky. Um, But I mean, they had a Pythagorean expectation of nine wins, which heading into the season, I think that's a pretty good season about what we thought. So. They might have underachieved a little bit but it was also because of the expectations that grew as the season went on when when they got to six and three we all thought they were going to make the playoffs if you started the season and say can this will this team finish eight and eight we might have all thought yeah so i think sometimes you're a prisoner to those expectations as the season moves along
1: yeah i'm talking about more of the eyeball test you know how, how they looked how they felt. And I know you can't quantify that. And that's where we get into serious issues with the analytics and the numbers because they don't exist. What to verify what I'm talking about. I just,
0: um, throw him He doesn't know what to do now. He's like, he's,
1: I'm just honestly, I'm just in disbelief. You can watch week three and four of last season and week 16 and 17, and not think this team suffered from a leadership problem. I honestly, I I just don't see how you can't say that's part of the issue that needed to be addressed, period. So, I just, I, we just had two completely different opposite ends of the spectrum.
2: So when they battled back and beat the Seahawks in overtime at home, when they beat the Bills, when they won six of their first nine games, why wasn't there a leadership problem in those games? But there, were, there was in weeks three and four, but there wasn't in week one and two and five and six. Like, where, Why does the leadership ebb and flow so much?
1: And that perfectly defines what I'm saying in all its percussions. The inconsistency. Was the lack of leadership, period, to me? The wild variance in performance spoke to the lack of leadership.
0: I will say that the only thing that sticks with me there is there's it's so easy to argue both things because ultimately you're not, this isn't baseball where you're playing the same team in a seven game series. I mean, the variance isn't just the leadership, the variance is also who you're playing on a weekly basis. That's part of the problem is there's no way to measure exactly what happened or, or where it went. And the, the Panthers game is a great example. Like, are we going to sit here and say that it was leadership that cost him that game? I thought at one point we were talking about how badly the defense got screwed up because Buda Baker didn't play. That's not leadership. That's Buda Baker. That's one of your best players not playing. So I guess ultimately for me, I mean, I can see both sides of it. Obviously, I feel strongly that uh, there are leaders that are needed. I've been around this long enough and been in locker rooms enough that you you get a sense of when a team doesn't have the best locker room and when it does. Now, last year, I can't speak to that because we were never in the locker room, but I've been around some other stuff. So I understand where Paul is coming from. But I also kind of get where Kyle's coming from, and and I, I think there's probably a happy medium ultimately, and I I I just keep coming back to the fact that you can't have leadership unless you're you can't really improve the leadership unless you're bringing guys who can play in the first place because it's the best players that ultimately or most impactful players that are going to get everybody's attention. Like I I and. And you, there's just so many things involved in it. I mean, Darnell Dockett fancied himself a leader for many years, and I can tell you that not everybody saw him as a leader because of just the kind of the personality he was. Now he was a great player. Um, they didn't necessarily see him as a leader, and everybody's going to kind of see it differently. And I just I think there's a lot that goes into it. And I don't uh, personally, as a, as I sit here and play Switzerland a little bit, uh, Switzerland a little bit, I, I don't I don't think. I would be all the way in on where Paul's coming from, and I certainly wouldn't go all the way in on where Kyle's coming from. So I I think there's something in the middle. But I can feel the tension in the podcast right now, so I'm hoping we can bring it back to something a little bit more enjoyable.
1: It's not not tension, it's disbelief. I just think of sitting there in Carolina and watching that game from the front row and thinking to myself, okay, Christian McCaffrey's out of this game and there's five million missed tackles. Hmm. Buda Baker or no Buda Baker, why are guys getting run over and jack stomped up and down the field are they sure they're ready to play but that's just once again that's my takeaway uh i think i can offer one thing we all agree on and that is when malcolm butler made what he calls one of the greatest plays in super bowl history we were all in attendance at state farm stadium for that i did not know you guys were there i was an auxiliary press uh translation three rows from the very top of the stadium where were you guys
0: we were, uh, we were a little lower than that, uh, but in this, we, were, we were down in the angle of the end zone in the auxiliary press, so we weren't in the press box. And, and for those people that don't know, at the Super Bowl, normal Super Bowls, um, there's so much press that shows up that you you got to be high up the food chain or covering one of the teams involved to be actually in a press box. And then the rest of the media gets put in the stands and they don't sell tickets to all the seats in the stands. Some of those seats are uh, – and their upper deck seats um, are given to media members and they put these little – like every other row is, is people and then they put these makeshift tables up there where you can have your computer and stuff. And Kyle and I were in the corner of the end zone, the press box side of the field, uh, it, right by the end zone where B- Butler made his interception of Russell Wilson.
1: All I have to say is, thank goodness, I was assigned the Patriots locker room. So there was nobody happier for Malcolm Butler at that moment than yours truly, because I didn't really want to go in and deal with the losing Super Bowl locker room for the next hour and a half. So uh, I did appreciate that. Even We even got a smile out of Coach Belichick after that one. That was memorable.
2: And I think that was like the obviously the start of malcolm butler's rise to to stardom i believe he was an undrafted guy in maybe his second or third season and he was a starting cornerback but nobody really knew who he was and then he makes that play and and he turned into a really good player that the titans signed to a handsome contract which they eventually released him at the very end of it when the money got really high but i i like the signing a lot for the cardinals for the price they got him for r- reportedly up to like five million dollars if you can get that for a number one cornerback, that's, that's pretty good. And I mean, we'll see, he stayed on the market despite what he's done. So I don't know if there were some fears among teams that he's slipping a little bit or what, but considering where the Cardinals were before that signing to where they are now, I think it solidifies a lot of things and sure you can add to the cornerback spot and you're going to need to for now and for the future. But I think the Cardinals should feel a lot better about where they're at now with Malcolm Butler.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was his rookie season. Uh, he was an undrafted guy out of West Alabama, and he, he just slowly but surely worked his way into the rotation and was in an, either a nickel or a dime package at the very end. And then the rest is history. And so, okay, uh, what do the Cardinals do now? The rest are they set going into the draft? Aaron, obviously, we've seen some reports. Quinn Dunbar is scheduled to visit the Arizona Cardinals. He had a heck of a 2019 season for the Washington Football Team. And then he spent all of last season, based on the reports I saw out of Seattle going through the archives, he showed up in August dealing with uh, an injured knee and was just never right all of last year. Was only active for six games. They put him on the IR at the end. But I'll tell you what, having been down on that field for the first game and seeing him field level, a six-foot-two corner, legit six two, he's imposing, there's no doubt, Quinton Dunbar.
0: Well, the Seahawks got a lot of praise when they first got him last offseason, and it looked like it might be a really good move, but he got tangled up in some off-field things um, with the kid from uh, DeAndre Baker, I think his name was, from uh, yep. the Giants, and supposedly they had done some bad things that I'm not going to bring up, because what ended up happening was Dunbar basically got uh, exonerated early in the process, so he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't whoever was there. He wasn't the guy. So there was that. So he had that hanging over his head. And then of course he was dealing with injury, but uh, there are some things to like about him. And if he's still out there in the market, you would think um, he could be somebody you could get. Now, supposedly he's going to visit both the Cardinals and the Lions. And if he goes to the Lions first, you never know. They might not let him out of the building, that kind of thing. Um, But ultimately, Paul, I feel like even with Butler, uh, I think they need another veteran cornerback. Now, maybe that. Maybe that's Dunbar. Maybe that's somebody else. It'd be nice if they could get somebody who they would feel comfortable starting aso- alongside Butler. You'd have Byron Murphy as the nickel slot guy. Uh, Robert Alford is there for depth. And, and who knows, maybe can challenge for that second starting job, whatever. But if you can get four veteran guys like that, if you add one more veteran, um, it just puts you in such a better position. I do think they need to look long and hard at taking – A cornerback in one of the first two rounds it'd be great if like a jc horn was there in the first round that'd be great but if you can go into the draft not having to have that then you're not forced into a pick that you really don't want and that's what they did last year when they signed devondre campbell and they you know signed jordan phillips to make sure that they didn't have to take a defensive lineman they didn't have to take a linebacker so that when derrick brown went number seven Uh, who they were ready to take if Simmons had gone seven to the Panthers and take Derek Brown. Well, when Derek Brown went, you already had the defensive lineman. You could take Isaiah Simmons and and at 16, there's just so many different options that could be there. You want to have the flexibility. And I think that's ultimately why they need to sign a Dunbar or somebody else.
1: Yeah. So if you had uh, Malcolm Butler and then Robert Alford, Byron Murphy, you had that fourth guy and then Yeah, it's not as easy to discern where the Cardinals might be leaning in in round one, whereas every single mock draft these days has them taking one of the three cornerbacks. Well, maybe not so much, right, Kyle?
2: Yeah, I think, like Darren's saying, if, if you get one more, then you're in a pretty good spot. And you look at the Cardinals contractually right now. I mean, these next two years, they have a lot of people under contract. And after that, they almost have a clean slate so you could go a lot of different ways with who you think is the best talent and i think that's what they need to do to kind of build it up for the future so many of these guys are on one or two year contracts that you kind of have this clear window of these next two seasons and then you're going to extend kyler murray and you're going to have him and deandre hopkins and buddha baker as these three main guys but you need to add some youth and some talent around them so the last thing you want to do is reach for somebody at 16. If Patrick Sertain and JC Horn are gone, there's a question about is Caleb Farley healthy enough and would anybody else be worth it at 16? So you, you certainly don't want to reach there and and signing somebody else would allow them more of that flexibility. Yeah, I'm
1: guessing the words back surgery almost ensure that Caleb Farley is going to be there at 16. That, that's just my own guess. Uh, we'll see what the medical reports if and when any Detailed medical reports come out, you know, considering what this offseason has still been virtual in so many different ways. All I know is, for example, if you go after a Quentin Dunbar, I mean, there's a guy you can match up theoretically against DK Metcalf. Yeah, I mean, just, just the physical and yeah, aspect of the game, the fact that Dunbar spent last season with the Seahawks, he might be your answer. Because, look, there might be some detractors out there, Patrick Peterson, but his two games against DK Metcalf were excellent. He did a really good job checking DK Metcalf in those two Seattle games. So not saying Malcolm Butler couldn't or isn't capable of doing the same, but think about that. If, if Patrick Sertan and JC Horn are both 6'2, two, aren't they right in that range? I mean, you would have some serious size in your defensive backfield at the corner position to make up for some smaller safeties at the very least.
0: Well, they're not getting one of those guys is definitely going to be off the board when they pick. And, and at this point, it feels like there's a chance. Although I, I participated in an mock draft um, recently and like in the last couple of days. And the only cornerback off the board at 16 was Sertan. So Horn was there. So who knows?
1: Well, speaking of the defensive backfield and now safeties, what about Sean Williams, who was the, uh, what, had over 100 tackles Was he the leading tackler two years ago for the Bengals? And, and then he's a team captain as well. So Sean Williams signs on the line that is dotted. Darren, what else do we know about the Bengals guy? More of a special teams guy, you think? For the yeah, I mean,
0: he, he was a starter for that poor Bengals team a couple of years ago. Uh, and then they brought in a free agent, I think it was Von Bell, um, to replace him. And he was basically moved to special teams. But he did a great job. By all accounts, he's one of those guys that took the demotion well. Uh, he's all about the team. I've heard that from multiple sources, both uh, things I've seen online and uh a couple of people that I've talked to um, that he will always put the team first. Uh, and so he'll do what he needs to do. And I, I like it because not only is he a captain, not, is, not only is he a special teamer that can kind of slip in and who knows, maybe he's the guy that replaces Trent Sherfield uh, on special teams, but, but he's also a guy that if you have some injuries on the back end, um, you know, maybe you can drop him into the lineup and you feel a little bit more comfortable that if Buda Baker gets banged up again or Jalen Thompson. I mean, they played Chris Banjo a ton on defense last year, and they did bring Chris Banjo back. I think in a perfect world, Chris Banjo is mostly playing special teams for you. So maybe Sean Williams gives you a little bit more flexibility there.
1: And Jalen Thompson barely played last year. Now you hope, knock on wood, right? That's uh, not going to be the case this year. But you were left a little short, a little inexperienced, at that safety position after Jalen Thompson was injury plagued.
2: Yeah, like, I mean, we talked about that Carolina game and was it leadership or not, but I think having the, the safeties out in that one was a, a big thing to me when you didn't have Buddha, you didn't have Jalen, you didn't have Chris Banjo. Uh, I think it was maybe Deontay Thompson and Curtis Riley, but I know they were missing at least three. So this is a hedge uh, against any injuries there. I think if Buddha Baker and Jalen Thompson stay healthy, I feel like that's a duo that could be one of the best safety tandems in the league because I believe in in Jalen Thompson's talent that much but he was hurt so much last year that I I think you do need to make sure that you have somebody backing up both those guys Buda is diminutive and he plays so hard that you know it wouldn't be a shock if he gets hurt at some point next season because he's such a wrecking ball out there so I think it's definitely a good idea to have that that third safety and Cardinals have a long line of, of talents and safeties going back several years. And a lot of times it was three guys that they moved in and out because Tyra Matthew was basically a slot cornerback slash safety. Um, but yeah, I think if Sean Williams shows that he can play well, I, you're going to so much of a nickel and dime package league that maybe he could see the field or just be that very much uh, insurance type depth.
1: Uh, you know, and and then you got to look uh, at what is going on in the division. And you know, we talked about the Rams, we talked about the Seahawks, and then you have a 49ers team that looks like they're going to have a brand new quarterback. At least that's my guess. I'm not really buying what Cal Shanahan and John Lynch are peddling about the future of Jimmy Gene. He still has a year left with the 49ers, not when they can have that sort of cap savings and on the dead money is still gonna be less than 4 million. I think they maximize that cap savings and they do deal him before uh, and then they have an opportune moment to do so. But Darren, go ahead and get us updated on what the Niners did and made news here in the last week since the last edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.
0: Well, I mean, they, they traded down and they were, uh, were going to be picking 12th, I believe, and they traded up to three And they've made no bones about the fact that they're going to take a quarterback there. And which is an interesting thing because when you're picking three, usually, you know, you want to move up to get a guy, you know, you're going to get, well, the quarterback class is such that apparently assuming Trevor Lawrence is going first to the Jaguars. And I think that's a given the the 49ers have at least two quarterbacks. They really like now that's where we're not sure what they are. There's a lot of feeling like the Jets are going to go ahead and take BYU's Zach Wilson number two. So at that number three spot, is it Mac Jones of Alabama? Is it Trey Lance out of North Dakota State? Uh, is it Justin Fields out of Ohio State? We don't really know that, but the 49ers obviously feel comfortable enough that they're going to do that. And they've made, again, even in press conferences, it clear that it's going to be a quarterback. Uh, what you refer to now is, you know, what they do with Jimmy Garoppolo because – they're saying he's going to be their quarterback this year. Um, And that makes sense. Maybe if you want to have a guy learn on the bench, which is so infrequent these days with a rookie quarterback. And I'll be curious to know exactly how they play that out. I don't personally think that Jimmy Garoppolo is necessarily going to fetch a lot in trade uh, with that contract, you know, what are you going to give up for that kind of price for that kind of quarterback? I don't know. I mean, you'd have to be kind of desperate. The Patriots aren't desperate. They've got Cam Newton. Uh, There's been talk about the Broncos, but is Jimmy Garoppolo that much better than drew lock at this point? I don't know. So especially for that price tag. So I don't know if a trade market will develop. I do know that the 49ers are going to have a quarterback of the future or one they hope will be quarterback of the future. And I do know that as of we sit here today, The Cardinals are the only NFC West team with a first-round draft pick in the 2022 NFL draft in the division. So uh, teams are making moves, and they're mortgaging futures, and we'll see how that turns out.
1: Seattle has three picks total in this year's draft, and neither Seattle nor the L.A. Rams have a first-round pick this year. So, yeah, going forward and this year, it's a paucity of picks if you will, for their NFC West rivals. I just, the deal itself, Kyle, I mean, let me get this straight. The 49ers traded away three first-round picks for an opportunity to draft Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Mac Jones.
2: Yeah, you're drafting what most people think is the third-best quarterback in this draft, but if you're confident in whoever it is, and I feel like Trey Lance is the most likely scenario there. If, if you love a Trey Lance or whoever it is, and you get a quarterback in that Kyle Shanahan offense that you think is a star, it's the same thing that we've got with Kyler Murray, where you can build around him because of his contract for five years. And it's a great place to be. So if you're going to trade three pick, three first rounders for something, this is what makes sense is for a, a young quarterback who you think you can build around. I don't like the two first round picks for a guy on his fourth year and a deal that you just have to extend and pay. But in this, I mean, a, a first round pick at quarterback is worth his weight in gold. If he, if he pans out. So, and I also feel like the Niners, has such a good roster that they might've felt like we're not going to be at number 12 anytime soon because we're always going to be competitive because we've got such good defense. We love our coach. We have good players on offense. So I think they felt like this is the time to strike and they like the quarterback class that much that they're willing to take that risk.
0: See, I agree with that. I think ultimately when you have the chance to be, have a top three pick and potentially get that quarterback of the future, um, I think you've got to be very mindful of the opportunity that you have there, knowing that you might not be there again, even if you don't have a great team. You know, if you're picking eight, you're not going to get a quarterback. You're just not. And it's hard to put yourself in a position to be there. I mean, if you're the Atlanta Falcons and you redid Matt Ryan, but he's in the back end of end of his career with all these quarterbacks we're talking about, we could ostensibly have quarterbacks go the first four picks. If, if they like whoever's still on the board after the 49ers choose. And, and there is an argument to be made that that's there too. And and so I think these teams have gotten very conscious of being able to go after these guys and work on the rookie quarterback. And, and Kyle's right. If you can get a rookie a quarterback on his rookie deal with the 49ers uh, right now, then those not only are those first round picks you traded the next couple of years gonna be in the high 20s anyways, potentially, but You've got so much more room to add to an already talented roster with a cheap quarterback. I mean, it's if it pays off, it's great. Now, the question is, does it pay off? The reality is, is let's say the first four picks or three picks or quarterbacks, at least one of them is going to not be good. That's just that's just the odds. That's
1: just the reality these days.
0: It could be a couple of them. So if if a couple of them wash out, then you're then you're the Rams or you're the Eagles where even though you had some success with a Goff or a Carson Wentz, it didn't last long-term, and then you got upside down on their contract. So it's it's a dangerous game that that is played, but it's a necessary game that you have to play to to compete in this league.
1: Recent history says it's not going to work. I ripped this off ESPN's NFL Live, took a quick picture of the graphic, and the graphic is top three quarterbacks who were drafted after the team traded up over the last 15 seasons. Sam Darnold, 2018. Mitchell Trubisky, 2017. Jared Goff, 2016. Carson Wentz, 2016. RG3, 2012. Only Sam Darnold still remains with a team who drafted him. And uh, that clock is ticking, as we know, with the New York Jets. So recent history would say, good luck.
2: Yeah, but that's that's fun with arbitrary endpoints, isn't it? Because if you say trading up for a first-round quarterback, the Chiefs did it for Patrick Mahomes. That worked out pretty well. The Texans did it for Deshaun Watson. I mean, there's teams that traded up, and it hit. You just... You got a hit on the quarterback the bills i believe traded up for josh allen in that draft and that seems to be working out so it's it's a massive risk but i don't think trading into the top three is automatically going to mean you made a mistake i mean being at number three is still better than being lower because you get the third best quarterback compared to the fifth or sixth so I, i think you know it's obviously a big risk and if they miss then then you know the niners as bright as their future looks right now then it's really going to be tough to win without a good quarterback so we'll see what happens but clearly they felt like this is a a good time for us to push all in and get a young quarterback in here
0: I mean the reality is, is if if for whatever reason the Cardinals would have stuck with Josh Rosen or whatever and and Josh hadn't made those strides I mean where would this organization be right now I mean we we might be talking about wholesale changes especially in the front office because it just didn't work out and that's Again, that's the danger. Steve Kime used to talk about it all the time. I mean, the issue with taking a quarterback early is he is your quarterback of the future. Now, he may not turn into your quarterback of the future, but when you draft him, he is your quarterback of the future. You can't, if you take a guy in the top 10, unless you're Josh Rosen, and that's why it was such a head scratcher and turner when the Cardinals did what they did, you're committing to that guy. And so if he shows you anything you're committing to him for a number of years, even if it's not going to turn out. And you end up a little bit like the Rams did. Now they had success, don't get me wrong, but you read the stuff that happened with Jared Goff and it became clear that Sean McVay did not believe that he was going to end up being the long-term answer. And then you're like, you're in this horrible no man's land. And and that's what you're trying to avoid.
2: I think Tua in Miami is a a good example of kind of what the Niners are following where The Miami Dolphins have a really nice roster up and down both sides of the ball. Is Tua going to be a good quarterback? And if he is, I think they'll be Super Bowl contenders sooner rather than later. If not, you're kind of in that maybe make a wild card playoff game. We'll see. But I think the Niners are in a similar boat where if they hit on that pick, then, yeah, they're going to be in prime position. And if not, their roster is good enough to win games. But can you be a true contender without a star quarterback?
1: And I'm all about the rookie contract on a quarterback. It's more valuable than ever. And and I get a lot of the reasoning and the rationale. And, you know, the Cardinals traded up to get Josh Rosen, despite media proclamations to the contrary. Here's my thing. I'll come full circle to my original statement. They gave up three first round picks for a shot at either Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or Mac Jones. I know Mel Kuyper said recently that in this quarterback group, if San Darnold was in this draft, he'd be number two. Behind Trevor Lawrence, so we'll see. I'm I just found it real curious that these are the three quarterbacks most likely they're going to choose from at number three, and so uh, obviously they like one of those three, or else they're not making that deal. The intrigue is there. Which one is it, and how is that guy going to pan out?
0: But but again, you're also weighing that against the situation you're in, which is maybe we had some hopes that Deshaun Watson would become available. He wasn't, and then, of course, he's having his off-field issues that means he's not going anywhere for the time being. And you're drafting too high to really get a quarterback you're really going to want, and you, you've you already decided, I don't care, even if he plays for him this year, you've clearly already decided Jimmy Garoppolo is getting the Jared Goff treatment from Kyle Shanahan, and he's trying to you know, find a replacement. So if you're the 49ers this, this is the time to make the move because you've got everything else, but you don't have a quarterback. And if you don't make a move now, you're going to be better this year. The best you're going to do next year is you're going to be picking 16 through 20, even if you underachieve with Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback, and you're probably going to be picking with a lower pick, higher pick, however you want to say it deeper in the twenties, because you'll be good enough for that. But will you be good enough to have the quarterback play to win a Super Bowl? So those are the things you've got away, and sometimes that means swinging for the fences. Because the reality is, is, and I'm not saying either of those guys are in a hot seat, but if you're John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, and you go another couple of years treading water with Jimmy Garoppolo, you're not going to get a long leash to wait around.
1: Hey, they've had their share of injuries obviously and it was a rebuild but three of the four years that kyle shanahan and john lynch have been with the niners they've lost double digit games they've lost 10 plus games in three of those four years Hell, the fourth year was a run to the super bowl i get it and 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 i and i'm sure every morning they wake up or maybe it's the middle of the night and they're thinking about that pass that jimmy g airmailed over a wide open emmanuel sanders in the fourth quarter that cost him that super bowl so and blowing that 10 point lead to patrick mahomes and company in in that fourth quarter so maybe that is the catalyst among other things for for making this ultimate decision Kyle
2: I don't have any questions about Kyle Shanahan's coaching ability I know the record might not be great but he was just nailed with injuries especially at quarterback for so many of those seasons and I think the one he did have a healthy quarterback like you said he makes the Super Bowl and we've seen what he can do with less at that position where he sets them up so well and If you're a Cardinals fan, that's the concern is if they get a talented guy in there, we all went to that Cardinals Falcons game in 2016 or whatever year it was when the Falcons made the Super Bowl. Shanahan was the OC and that was one of the best offensive performances I've ever seen because he made Matt Ryan an MVP in large part because of the scheme. So I think if, if Kyle Shanahan gets a talented quarterback, it's bad news for the NFC West. So I think everybody else is hoping they miss on this projection.
1: Once again, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or Mac Jones. We'll see. We'll see how that that turns out. Um, We do know this, speaking of quarterbacks in the draft, is going to be Kyler against Baker in the rematch because the NFL has approved the 17th game. That means the Cardinals are going to the Cleveland Browns. That'll be a road game. And uh, Baker and company await Kyler and company, Darren. So there you go. Mark your schedule accordingly. By the way, we're not going to get a definitive schedule in terms of the weeks and the opponents and when well, the opponents we know, but as to the when and where uh, until mid May or so, right.
0: That's the report uh, that I've seen is that the schedule probably won't come out till mid May, which makes sense. And, you know, the 17th game is not new news and we've talked about it before and it was inevitable as soon as the new collective bargaining agreement was put in place and they couldn't do anything with it really until the new media packages were settled. But the reason, one of the reasons the NFL got so many more billions of dollars over their their television streaming packages because of this extra game and and the inventory it provides because obviously regular season games mean more to television networks than preseason games. So you've got this extra game. Uh, It's gonna always be an AFC versus NFC game. It's gonna flip flop. So this year the NFC teams go on the road. The next year the AFC teams are gonna go on the road uh, starting in 2022 uh there's always going to be four of these games played internationally and over an eight-year span every single team is going to have to give up a home game for an international game which i know will absolutely endure uh uh, make all the fans so uh excited because they're already angry about losing the game to mexico and any of these international games the ones that want to go to state farm stadium but it's the wave of the future there's going to be international games and it's 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 interesting. Uh, It's gonna be weird not having any 500 teams. It's gonna be weird uh, having extra home and or away games. I mean, the Cardinals didn't get their game in Mexico City last year. I'm assuming they still have to have one in Mexico City uh, because of the Super Bowl that they got. So if they go play in Mexico City this year and give up the home game like they were supposed to in 2020 and you have this extra road game Uh, in Cleveland, you could, in theory, wouldn't in theory, this is what would happen. You'd have a 17-game schedule, and the Cardinals would be playing 10 of them on the road, and that's a a rough little breakdown.
1: I fully expect that to happen. I I do, Kyle. I think the Cardinals were supposed to go to Mexico City last year. I think they're probably going this year. We'll see who the opponent is. Roger Goodell made that uh, comment here this week and said that one benefit of playing 17 games each team is, quote, our ability to continue to grow our game around the world so to me that's foreshadowing and there's going to be more uh, international games as we and by the way you're not going to go to 18 games in the regular season until this cba expires and that's march of 2031 so you don't want to hear anybody saying oh when are you going to go to 18 no that's not going to happen for nearly a decade
2: the players are are probably not a too happy with going to 17 games because it's more wear and tear on their body and more chance of injury. But anybody trying to make a thousand yards rushing a thousand yards receiving, that's nice because now you got the extra game like Kenyon Drake, if he had one more, maybe he gets there. So I I think that's maybe a little silver lining for these guys. They can be that thousand yard rusher just gets a little bit easier.
1: So the last time the NFL changed the schedule, it was from 14 to 16 and that was 1978. So there you go. That's news as we go in. And once again, three preseason games. We'll see how they structure the month of uh, August. But they're supposed to start the season still the second week of September. That's not going to change. They're just going to backdate the preseason schedule accordingly, and we'll see what that yeah. means exactly.
0: I think. Uh, the by the way, I was going to say, I think the preseason will be – just move back a little bit. And the way it will work is the because there's only three preseason games, which there will only be three of those, um, The the – the conference that has to go on the road in the regular season gets the extra preseason home game guys. So only one preseason road trip this year.
1: There you go. There you go. It'll be, uh, you know, we'll see what are the odds. It's going to be the, uh, Raiders new stadium. That's, 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 I'm what I think clubhouse leader is going to be, uh, on that one since, uh, so by the way, Roger Goodell also said he expects to have full stadiums for this season. Um, so, That's significant. Now, the key word there, the operative word is expect. Nobody knows for sure. But um, considering that NFL attendance typically is 16 million plus for an entire season and NFL teams collectively drew just over 1.2 million. Yeah, that was a stark contrast last year. And uh, I think we all hope that atmosphere is back in the building that we're all back in the building.
2: I think it's it'll be interesting to see if it feels a little bit different going back because it was so weird not having fans and now it has been the reality for players for a full season so it might be maybe kind of fun where you're a 8-year NFL veteran who's seen it all but maybe this little downtime of no fans uh, makes you appreciate it again and and what it means to have 65,000 people screaming at an important play of the game so that, that will be fun to finally have everybody back. And like you said, Paul, who knows if if immediately we can get there. Hopefully everything's trending in that direction and things look good right now. Uh, but it would be nice at whatever point we can to get back to full capacity.
1: All right. Speaking of who knows, here's how I'm thinking we end this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Larry Fitzgerald update time. <laughs> I was hoping
0: Hashtag we were going to get knows? our conspiracy theory.
1: I do have one. You guys ready? God, I'm so glad you asked. What'd you wait? You waited to the very end to ask for it, here we go. Ready? Let me loosen up. Here we go. (laughs) What if, what if Larry never announces his (laughs) retirement? What if he's retired already? What if he just hasn't filed the papers yet, although he's made the decision He will file the papers unless he wants to wait an extra year to start the clock on Canton and getting the gold jacket in the Hall of Fame. But we all expect Larry to be underwhelming in the announcement. What if he just says, you know what? There is no official declaration. There's no tweet. There's no Players Tribune column. There's no statement from the team. There's certainly no press conference. I'm retired. And I'm the only one who really knows when's my tea time.
0: I would say, I don't think he'd do that to this team. And, and he wouldn't, Michael Bidwell would basically, I believe, tell him, look, I know you don't want to make a big deal about it. You don't, we're not going to make you to a press conference per se, but we've got to be able to say something one way or the other. And I, I don't, I personally don't think Fitz will leave everybody hanging just like that, but it is, I'll be honest. I don't, completely dismiss it out of hand like some of the other things you've suggested. So I guess that you were moving in the right direction. I mean, let's not forget Barry Sanders announced his retirement with a fax to a small town newspaper in, in Wichita, Kansas, where he's from. So you never know.
1: And, and where did Larry get his touchdown celebration from? Barry Sanders. Thank you. Thank you. Game, set, and match. If I had a mic right now, I'd drop it.
0: The thing is, is the guys that don't announce their retirement aren't retired. They're praying that somebody will give them a job. And I don't think Fitz is in that spot right now.
2: I like, the, I like the Evan Mathis way to do it. I think he just got on Twitter after he was done. He goes, how do I announce my retirement? And that was basically how he did it. Fitz can just do that. Hey,
1: our Jim Omahondro just texted in and said, what if Fitz told the team? and nobody else, and either gave them strict orders not to announce it yet and or the team has some sort of plan as to win.
0: See, I, I, think, I think that's very possible. I think it's very possible that he's already told the team. I'm not saying I know that, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I think it's very possible he's already told them what he wants to do and they're just going to respect what's going on. And, and I would say that when he says tell the team – I'm thinking there's three people that would know, and that would be your owner, your your general manager, and your head coach, and that and they would be sworn to secrecy. I could see that.
1: Well, that apparently would be the only three who do know right now because is it me or putting my finger to the wind, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers chatter has been growing and increasing. increasing people frequency. are bored. I mean, has it not, Kyle?
2: Yeah, it has. I mean – probably they're listening to this podcast and hearing it's conspiracy theory season. So they're coming up with their own, but I I think, you know, the longer he waits, the more people are going to speculate and try to figure out if he's, if he wants to go somewhere else, like we've talked about a lot. um, Fitz has said multiple times that he doesn't want to play anywhere else. So you kind of take that as, as what we know publicly of what he said. And he's been pretty adamant about that. He's, he talked about, not chasing a ring at, at one point because it's not like super teams that are in the NBA. You don't know if a, a team you go to is going to have a better chance than the team you're on right now. So it would certainly be surprising to me. I mean, I think we're just kind of filling in the, the dead airwaves and trying to figure out what he's doing. I think the most likely scenario is, is obviously he's just ready to retire and, and he's going to announce it at some point or he just comes back and he's the third or fourth wide receiver on this team for one more year. But who knows? I mean, maybe the Vikings, maybe the Bucks, maybe there's a lot of teams involved that that I'm not thinking of.
0: I think ultimately if he's not retiring and he's not coming back to play for the Cardinals, there's only one small chance that he signs somewhere else, and that would clearly be with the Brooklyn Nets because they're signing everybody else right now. (laughs) And, I mean, if you're going to ring Chase, you might as well go to the Nets. Everybody else is.
1: Or the Lakers, you know, one or the other, you know, although that would be a serious, uh, you know, clash of of interest considering he's a part (laughs) owner of the Phoenix Suns. Right. That's somewhere prohibited. It's uh, it's good. Well, at least I got Kyle to acknowledge the Vikings. At least he threw that in there to the consideration process. By the way, Darren, if you want, you know, Larry to get back to you and break the news, maybe you need to send him your fax number. (laughs) Maybe that's what you need to do.
0: Good point. You know.
1: Is there a fax still in the building? You better find that number and send it to Larry just in case.
0: The Vikings is intriguing. Do they need leadership? Do the Vikings need leadership?
1: <laughs> oh, don't start that again.
2: Don't start.
0: I, that. I bet you Fitz has been
2: faxing everybody for months, but nobody checks their fax machine anymore. <laughs> He's been trying to retire. That's right. Every newsroom, every newsroom in Arizona and back
1: in Minnesota. Better start scrambling to see if there's some of that, whatever they used to make that fax paper out of, It sort of that slick, uh, rubbery feel. I never knew what that fax, was that paper or was that some sort of rubber compound? What was that fax paper? Man. How did they make that?
0: We
2: are old. Yeah, I just know an intern's going to go over there and see a stack of nine papers from Larry Fitzgerald to the sports editor saying, I'm retired. Can you announce this? And he's not going to know what to do with it.
1: That's right. Stated February 23rd. That's <laughs> uh, Yeah. Okay, well, there you go, Darren. When you post this, uh, this to the website, the, the adjoining picture should be of a fax machine.
0: <laughs> all over it.
1: You know, that, that's what you should do. So, there you go. Darren tried to start it again at the very end, Kyle And, I loaded, <laughs> and that'll do it for this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.